Hey, everybody. Hey, welcome to Prodigal Church. My name is Ryan Gard, and tonight, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, there are that have shaped and formed uh, my worldview. Uh, they've really created the, the way that I see church and how it should be done. Uh, and tonight's one of those. Tonight is a sort of a standalone message. Uh, so is next week. Next week I'll tell you about in just a second. But tonight is one that I'm excited to share with you because I think it's one that we'll keep coming back to. Not that I'll keep teaching it, but it's one that uh, is very important for us moving forward. So Luke 15 is that story of the prodigal son. He's a punk, runs off, does all the wrong things, comes crawling back home. The father loves him, embraces him, forgives him, throws a party. Beautiful. That's how I see God. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about how I see us. In this text that you'll, you'll think maybe, oh, he's going to Acts chapter 2 if you're a church folk. But we're going to go somewhere else tonight. It's going to be a beautiful picture. But uh, before we get there, um, I, I just want to uh, th throw a few announcements up. There's a slide. I think I might have made this one too. Party. Yep, I definitely made that. Uh, we're going to throw a little party, and it's just a chance for us to hang out. We have a graphic designer in the room right now who does all the work that I ever ask him to do. But I'm so dumb that sometimes I hop on. And that's beautiful. Anyway, so, uh, but party, sorry, Brian. Uh, but Party in the Park is on February 23rd, and it's just a chance for us to hang. I rented out a Ramada at Foley Park. I'd never been there before, but it's a park in Chandler not too far from here uh, where I'm thinking it'd be cool to get to know you. It'd be cool to get to hang, get the families together. If you're athletic, there's a thing for you to do. If you're not, there's nothing for you to do as well if you just want to chill. You want to bring a snack, it's 2 o'clock, and so you don't have to bring like a picnic basket with like lunch in it, but it'd be cool for us just to hang. And so we rented the Ramada. There's a kickball. There's a kickball in the bottom left of that picture that you can't see. Uh, definitely going to try to get a kickball game together. You're going to see 40-year-old Ryan act like 13-year-old Ryan, so you're invited to that. Uh, but that's on the 23rd, so like save the date, grab your phone, or just completely uh, remember it because you're brilliant and you're better than I am. But on the 23rd, February 23rd at 2 o'clock, love to see you. And it's a chance for people to come and see uh, that we're not totally, totally weird. Uh, if you know somebody who maybe they would come to a picnic in the park or a party in the park, but they wouldn't come to church, kind of a chance for them to come and go, oh, they're not totally crazy. Uh, so 23rd, we'd love to have you there. Next week, I'm thrilled. All right, so imagine 50 years from now. My dream has come true. Uh, I have pulled it off. What I have pulled off is a ministry and a career that looks anything like Kit Danley's career. Uh, she is a woman who is the president, founder of a ministry called Neighborhood Ministries, Neighborhood Ministries in downtown Phoenix. You can Google that. It is a church that never sleeps. It is an education center. It is a place for young, single, terrified moms or girls that are pregnant to go and figure out what in the world do I do. It's a place for people that are hooked on everything and need freedom. They've been going for years and years and years. And Kit is uh, invited to speak all over the country. Uh, she's a part of CCDA, the Christian Community Development Association. She's on their board. She is Jesus, man. She is so so unbelievably fantastic. She's committed her life to caring for uh, the poor and the oppressed, the folks that have just had some hard knocks. And she's coming to teach next week. Uh, that'll be the best sermon that's ever happened on a Sunday night right here. Uh, she's going to talk about God's heart uh, for the poor, the outcast. She's got a kind of a presentation and interaction too. Again, you can hide during that and not say a word. Um, but man, I'd love for you to Google her, Kit Danley. She's incredible. She's right down the street. She wasn't hiring, so I started a church. Uh, and so, tough crowd. Uh, 
And then in just a minute, just uh, shoot real straight with you. We rent this place. Uh, and so we, we are going to take an offering. And that's sort of a silly, non-spiritual way of saying, like, hey, uh, if you'd love to keep meeting here, uh, we pay them. And so uh, we're going to take an offering. And our hope and goal is to... Um, be an incredibly generous and simplistic ministry to do really great things. Uh, but there, there are some lights that, you know, we pay for and stuff. And so if you're new, forget about it. Skip it. Don't think I want your money. Again, we're just looking around going, well, yeah, we probably, this is a nice room. If we want to keep meeting here, uh, here comes the basket. So that's, there's, I got trained and coached for like 17 years on how to do that better. And I just don't care. Like if you care about what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, like here comes a bucket. Uh, love you. You can give online. That's way easier. If you're like, I'm going to give, I'm going to give. I, oh, I forgot to give. Automation trumps determination every time. So if you just get automated, you never have to think about it. It's not that spiritual, but God's still happy. Okay, so tonight I want to read a stat to you that I saw. This study came out. It's going to set the tension uh, for us as we move into this talk. Uh, this just came out. The Barna Group, they just do surveys and stuff all the time. Uh, this incredible ministry found out. This Maybe you saw this. A recent study from the Barna Group stated this. Almost half of millennials, folks a little bit younger than me, almost half of millennials, 47% that were surveyed, almost half of them agree, at least somewhat, that it is wrong to share your faith with someone else of another faith in hopes that they will join you in yours. 47% of millennials, half of them agree that it is, is, is somewhat wrong. It's just wrong that you should not share your faith in hopes that somebody would one day agree and would you know, become a Christian. So like if you ever acquired the fire and went to the mall like I did and tried to get someone to pray the prayer, that's, they probably would say clearly wrong. But if you've ever even just shared your faith with someone and said, this is so good, it's so beautiful, I want you to be a part of it, would you consider it? Like I have with some family and friends, um, they, there's half of the millennial crowd, according to that survey, says that's wrong. So that's a little bit of the culture of 2019 that we live in, that it's just don't, 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 stop. Like, don't share your faith with me and don't evangelize me. Don't proselytize me. Don't try to convert me to your thing. So there's a defensive posture. Has anyone, uh, is that a surprise to anyone or does anyone else feel like that? No, that feels about right. Can you picture somebody that would go, don't you dare share your faith with me? Fantastic interaction. I didn't set the question up well. Nobody looked at me. Okay, fancy. Sweet. So if you're listening to the podcast, nobody raised their hand because I phrased the question poorly. So. But maybe this is why. You know, my perception of Christians growing up, maybe similar to yours, I'll say this briefly because it's no fun to talk about the toxic side. But my perception was that Christians were judgmental, hypocritical. Uh, judgmental meaning I, I gave them lots of material. I gave them lots of reasons to judge me. But then I was like, don't judge me. You know, And, and then even just egotistical. A lot of them thought maybe they were better than me. Uh, I thought a lot of them were scared. Like, if you're scared, go to church, right? You know, right? Like, <laughs> I was quoted a rap lyric. I didn't even know I knew it. Uh, what song is it? Okay, I'm stop thinking. Uh, so that was it as well. Easily offended. Oh my goodness, don't say that. You know, I had family that was always offended if you'd like ate your sandwich wrong. Uh, they would, they were hypocritical. They were all the, all the things, all the things. Now you have the result of that multiplied you know, over 8 billion. Folks that have a perception of Christianity that is so, for those of us that um, 
maybe you grew up in the church or maybe you see the beauty, maybe you just started a church, you still see such beauty and such depth and such wisdom and such hope and so much reason to wake up and to share this, but now you have an audience that's saying, at least half of them are saying, it's wrong for you to do that. They're not coming to church. They don't want to even hear it at Thanksgiving or in the hallway or anywhere. So what will it take to convince a world that wants nothing to do with Christianity, God, the Bible, any of this, what does it take? What is it going to take for us to acknowledge that, maybe change a little bit of our behavior if we need to, um, if you truly believe you have something beautiful to offer the world? If your posture in your heart tonight is, no, this is good, and this is beautiful, and this is right, and this is for everyone, and it's lovely, and I want everyone to come to the table, I want everyone to know God's heart for them, if that's your posture, well, what do we do with a world that sees us completely, maybe fairly, but inaccurately? Maybe fairly, maybe they see us in ways because we've earned the right to be seen those ways, but your heart breaks for it. So you're going, oh, that's not it. It's better than that. So what's it going to take? All right, so I'm going to introduce you to uh, a girl named Artemis real quick. We're going to rewind the tape. Here's a statue that I found on Google. Uh, this is Gardas, uh, the goddess Gardas. That'd be me if I was a goddess Gardas. Uh, <laughs> this is Artemis, <laughs> and she is, uh, historians called her the many-breasted goddess. This is why I told you to check your kids in tonight. Uh, she is the goddess, uh, I actually read another side of the argument that said, no, those are bull's testicles, which is weird, but it all represents uh, fertility. Uh, this goddess Artemis, we're going to get to her city of Ephesus in just a minute, but this is real life uh, from the Greek pantheon of gods and goddesses. This is also known as Diana, but Artemis here was a goddess in the region of Ephesus. They said that the original statue fell from heaven, so the men said that the many-breasted statue came from heaven. They didn't make it, it just came right out of the sky, and uh, a bunch of guys got yeah, anyways. Uh, and so they got this statue, and they believed in this goddess Artemis. Okay, sometimes when you talk about these things, you need to remember these are human beings just like you and I that place their faith just like you and I, that believe certain things just like you and I. And some people think you're crazy for believing what you believe. Let's not cartoon these people uh, or create, like, another world that they live on. These are folks that for a long, long time, I'll get to that, believed in the goddess Artemis. Uh, and this goddess is clearly the goddess of fertility uh, and, and blessing. So if you lived in Ephesus at the turn of the century uh, and you were a worshiper of Artemis, you believed that in the Greek pantheon of gods and goddesses, there were a bunch of them, some were nice, some were angry. You wanted to please all of them, though. You wanted the gods to be happy with you. Don't make the gods angry. Uh, Artemis, she may look nice, but she will smite you. What she'll actually do is she'll make the crops die. So if she's the goddess of fertility and the goddess of blessing, she can make the crops grow, right? And if you're agricultural people that depend on that, then you're hoping that the goddess out there who's watching you and your worship and adoration of her, you want her to like you. You want her to be pleased with you. And so you're going to do whatever you can. Uh, say that you're a family, a young family or whatever. And you're, you're trying to get pregnant. You're trying to start your family. You're trying to continue the name. You're trying to have a baby, but it's not going well. Anyone else been there? You're then praying to the goddess Artemis going, I just want to be a dad. I just want to be a dad. I just want to be a mom. I just want to be a mom. So you're praying to this goddess saying, will you make us fertile? Will you help us have a 
baby. Well, you, you have a business, this goddess Artemis. Paint the, the whole picture. If she's the one that does the blessing, whether it's in business or in agriculture, personally, spiritually, whatever it is, you want the goddess Artemis to be happy. Now, what you want to do is build her a home. All right, She needs a place. So I didn't put a picture up, but she, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world was called the Artemisian named after Artemis. And this thing was a beast. Uh, it was the world headquarters for the worship of Artemis. And I, I was looking it up, and a million people a year, a million people a year, this is huge, a million people a year would leave their homes and do a pilgrimage to Ephesus to visit this Artemisian once a year. Because if you could just get close enough, if you could just get there, if you could just get to the holy site, then you would be absolutely thrilled. There were hundreds of columns that had been built that held this thing up. You can see the ruins. You can actually go there today and see where it used to be. You can see some of these columns that have lasted 2,000 years. Um, but these would take, like, generations of workers, the columns even, just to hold the building up. Like, I would start it at, as a kid with my dad, and then my dad would die, and then I would work still on this column with my coworkers and I would die, and my kid would then take, that's how long it took for them just to build the pillars that held it up. You can Google all of this. Uh, but those million visitors, um, they would come to town, and once a year, historians say that they would have, uh, I'll just call it a, a festival, but it really was, um, it included so much graphic detail that I've cropped my notes because my wife hates when I teach this message because it makes everyone uncomfortable. I'm fine. Uh, so I'll just share a few things. They would have erotic festivals. Uh, you know, so church attendance was on the rise. Uh, a million people a year would show up in town, and she's the goddess of fertility and blessing. She's the goddess of... She's the many-breasted goddess, and so we're obviously going to throw some, some sex at that church, and, and that's going to get attendance up. And the, she's the goddess, so she fully is on board with it. Uh, they, let's just say that the best way I can describe it um, is when they would bring in you know, thousands of prostitutes into the temple, into the church. Uh, and, and, I mean, it just looks... The best way I can describe it is, man, what happened in Ephesus at the turn of the century makes Vegas look like Sesame Street. It's just, it's not even close in comparison to what, what maybe conservative Christians would look, ah, oh my God, you know, like freak out at and cover their eyes and the whole thing. So, but it's working. And it's, Ephesus is actually at the time, you can look it up and see that it's the New York of the time from religion to politics to economics. What's happening in this Acts chapter 19 story is you have a thriving metropolis, the epicenter of progressive culture. Everything is going so well. It really is the New York of its time. There's money everywhere. There's success everywhere. There's fame. It's a little bit scary at night. You know, it's a little bit crazy if you've got a couple kids, but it is thriving. And it's based on primarily the economy doing so well. The, now, now, tie this together. The economy is completely interwoven and tied into the religion. So if the religion's doing well in Ephesus, then so is the economy. You hungry? You want to feed yourself and your kids? You really want the thing with Ephesus and Artemis and that little marriage to go well because you're hungry and you've got a house and you've got hopes and dreams. And so now you see this connection of, I can't just believe something and go work at UPS. Uh, I can't just believe something and go work at Amazon. I, no, these things, my economic success is tied to this religion primarily because the religion's selling trinkets. The religion is selling 
tiny little statues because they would take this one big statue like this out to port once a year and they would dip it in the port. Any settlers of Catan fans in the room? Just me? Cool. I'm a nerd. Okay, so they would take this, I won't use that example then. They would take this statue out to port, dip it into the port, and they would pray as a port city, would you bless our port? Would you bring customers in? Would you bring people in? Would you bring finances in? And everybody loved the statue, but then they would put it back in the temple. You can't have the statue. It's not like some, you can't just borrow it. It's not a game ball that you bring back next week. You can't have it, but you can have this one. Everybody wanted a little statue of Artemis. Why? Because they believed if you would take that statue and put it, these tiny little statues in the bedroom, if you need some help there, in, in the crops, in the area, you put a row of them in the crops, put that in the office, put it wherever you're making money, and she's going to see that, and she's going to see your adoration, and she's going to bless you. Can you picture it? If you really truly believe that, then you would buy as many statues as you possibly could. And people were. Ephesus was the, had the biggest bank in the world at the time because of these little mini statues. The world's largest bank because men and women were buying them up like crazy. Now, here's the, here's the crazy part. Like you've been an American since 1776, right? Fantastic. I mean, it feels like it's been forever because that's all we've ever known. 200 and something years, right? For over 500 years, Artemis is the goddess of Ephesus. For twice as long as we've been a country, for twice as long as there's been a thing called the United States of America and constitute the whole thing, for twice as long as we can even imagine being a country, this was the world these folks lived in. You have a goddess who is a highly sexualized goddess, it's a funny thing to say, uh, in a culture that would in most churches, make most people a little bit uncomfortable, uh, and then you've got a whole economy tied into it for 500 years. Now, let's see what happens when the Apostle Paul, uh, who has said some things in the New Testament, when he shows up with a couple of boys. He's got the disciples. Uh, so back in the day, he was a missionary. He would just travel, and he would grab a couple of faithful, obedient <laughs> folks, and he'd be like, follow the rabbi, and they would follow him wherever he would go. And you've got Paul uh, and Gaius and Aristarchus, and they've said yes. And then Paul goes, cool, we're going to Ephesus. And they probably said no. Like, my mom said I can't go there, right? <laughs> like, you send your kid to, like, you know, some cute country on a three-year YWAM mission, which is fantastic. But if he comes to you and says, uh, Paul invited me to Vegas on crack, uh, so we're going to get in a boat and get off a boat on a port in the city, and we're just going to maybe figure it out. That's what happens. Acts chapter 19, uh, just verse 1 really quickly to set the scene. I'm going to read this with you. Uh, I'll have all of it up, all of it, all of it up on the screen. Check this out. While Apollos was at Corinth, that's inconsequential, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. I'm going to skip 22 verses for the sake of time. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. What a weird sentence. What it says is, right about then, when this story takes place, there was a great disturbance that took place among, and I love this, the way, capital W, proper noun. What he's saying is, Luke is saying in Acts chapter 19, all of the sudden there was a massive disturbance among the way. What is the way? Well, you and I, we were known as 
followers of the way for the first 300 years of the church's existence. You weren't known as Christians. Uh, that was actually an insult that we went, oh, we like that. They like tried to jab at us. They're like, you little Christs. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> okay. So we grabbed Christians, little Christs, and uh, redeemed it. Um, but we were actually for the first 300 years known as followers of the way until it got replaced. Follow me. This title of people being known as someone, some people who live a certain way, was replaced by the title believers. You see about 300 years into the church's existence, it goes from these are people who live a certain way. That's how people look and see and know us. And then 300 years in, it was like barcode faith. Boop. Christian. Boop. Christian. Agnostic. Boop. Christian, right? We're just simply somebody who believes something. What a downgrade. What a downgrade to go from we're identified. I'm not knocking belief, but from a perception standpoint, think about it. Would you rather be known as someone who lives a certain way, the way of Jesus, this loving, meek, beautiful, wonderful way, or, well, they believe something? So there's a disturbance, though, among this, this people that are known a certain way. Let's cover like five verses. Watch. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. So there's a character. Here's Demetrius. He brings a lot of business in for the craftsmen. He called them. So here comes the craftsmen and Demetrius. He called them together along with, there's more guys, the workers in related trades, all Artemis work, and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. But you see, so what's their, their motive? is like, we're making bank. But you see and hear how this, this fellow Paul, the Apostle Paul, has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Paul had traveled 10,000 miles doing missionary work. He got the word out a little bit. He says, I love this, that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. Like, that should be comedy. He says this isn't God. Like, he's holding a statue that he made, thinking it's God. And here's Paul going, that's not, that's not God. But he's gently, you're going to see how he, how he does it. He says that that's not God at all. There is danger. Here's the real fear. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So uh, there's danger here that we're going to lose some money and Artemis is going to get angry. If you live there and your grandpa lived there and your grandma and your great-grandma and your great-great-grandma and your great fill in the blank with all the greats and you were handed down a faith and a tradition and a world and a hungry stomach that was tied to a thriving economy with Artemis and this guy, Paul, shows up and whatever he does threatens that, what are you going to do? Like, you, your survival instinct kicks in. What are we going to do? And you got Artemis who's up there somewhere, and she might be robbed of her divine majesty. I love that. He finishes with that. Started with the money. Different sermon. When they heard this, 28, he says, they were furious, of course, and began shouting. Uh, this is in English. It was in Greek, and so hopefully it sounded cooler than this. 
great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Cool. Soon the whole city was in an uproar, it says. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Okay, so Gaius and Aristarchus, uh, maybe they heard that line that the center of God's will is the safest place. Seen that on Facebook? The center of God's will is the safest place. You just want to be right in the center. Center yourself in God's will. Right. They ha- have you ever had an entire city mad at you? I mean, I've said some things. I've done some things that have made certain people mad at me. But I've never had Chandler chasing me, right? I've never been in my little minivan going, ah! A whole city wants to hit me with rocks until I'm gone. You ever been there? You ever seen grown? You ever been a teenage guy and had an amphitheater full of men about to kill you because you just threatened their economy? You just threatened every. You, you don't do that. So here's guys in there start because probably popping off shots. If it was me, I'd be like, "You're all going to hell." I don't actually believe that, but it's okay. Like, I, I don't know what I would do in this moment, but you've got a couple of guys who signed up for the field trip. Here they are with Paul, and now the whole theater's filled with raging people because the economy's threatened and their religion's threatened. And then here, Paul wasn't there, though. They grabbed Gaius and Aristarchus. Look at this, verse 30. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. So there's some other brothers, and they're like, dude, no, don't go out there. You picture it. What's Paul like in this moment? I like this, Paul. This is a little bit of a gladiator, Paul. Yes. He's brave. Like, what else? What is Paul's? Throw a word out there. Describe Paul. He won't. What's the? Manly. Uh-oh, you just offended half the crowd, but yeah. Just kidding, buddy. Determined. Aggressive. Yeah. Paul has something to say. Like, and we love that. Give me someone who has something to say, and I'll drive a long way to hear it. Like, this culture, this world is dying for people that have something to say. Do you have anything to say worth hearing? If not... I don't care. And here's Paul. This is a guy that is willing to risk his life in this moment to say something. Just a, I got to say something. The disciples are like, no, no. And they like wrestle him to the ground and like tie him down. I don't know what they do, but he doesn't get out there in this, in this moment. He's got something to say, and he would rather die than keep it in. Like God raises those kinds of people up. They say, let me get in there. Let me say this. I have to say this, even if it costs. Verse um, 31. Even some of the officials of the province, I'm going to keep going past this and come back to it. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Then it's kind of pure comedy. The assembly was in confusion. The assembly. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the, Luke's such a jerk. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. He just throws it in there. We're angry about what? Ah, I don't know. They're just mad. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He, he quiets the crowd. He motions for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about... Two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours? That's why I said in the Greek it's got to be more interesting than great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, right? After like 30 seconds, I'm out. Like, great, yeah. Not two hours, they're jumping up and down. They didn't have any music. They were just great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk 
shows up, quiet of the crowd, and said, fellow Ephesians, it's British, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, man, look at his faith. These facts are undeniable. You better calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. Interesting. If then Demetrius, that's the guy that started it all, and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. He basically like calms them down and says, like, there's a form for this. Like, if you're really upset, you can fill this out, blah, blah, blah. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. It's like, put down your rocks. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting, like Rome could come in and kick down the door. We are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. There's no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. I want to read one verse that's not included. I, just, I see it and I want to say it. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye. <laughs> you got this. Bye. <laughs> like Paul starts a riot in Ephesus. And then when it goes down, he's like, Gaius Aristarchus, you're ready. And he gets on a boat and like paddles away. I painted that picture of him being sort of a coward. I don't think that's the case. But he just basically goes, it's yours. Good luck. And he takes off. Okay, but then he doesn't stop. All right, so this is later on. I'm going to come back to Acts 19 in a second. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Uh, go to the book if you have a Bible or just look up at the screen. Kicking it, kicking it new school. Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to read the first few verses. This is a letter that Paul wrote to them later on. This is the letter to the Ephesians. He started a riot here, sort of. Uh, he got out of the riot. What happened? Well, they started, a, they started a church, apparently. And check out what happens in the book of Ephesians. We're just going to do a few verses here, uh, and you'll see what happened. Paul introduces himself. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Like how many? This many? Like really, seriously, like, like church plant size, right? This can't be like a mega church. To the holy people in Ephesus, like who? Gaius and Aristarchus, right? According to like, you know, biblical, like judgmental standards. Who's holy? Who the heck is he talking to? Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, keyword blessed us in the heavenly realms with Every spiritual blessing in Christ. You read the rest of the letter to the Ephesians, it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's wonderful. It's got verses that are tattooed and stickered and give your life. Life verses abundant in the book of Ephesians. Paul went to Ephesus, got off a boat, did something, brought a couple guys with him. They did something. They stuck around. And then he writes them a letter and in the first three sentences of the letter, it's so subversive and beautiful. He says, praise be to who? Artemis. No. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has done what? Blessed us. No, 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 no. Like, 
remember what she does. She's the goddess of fertility and blessing. And now Paul has the, the guts, maybe, to write him a letter and say, he, not just like blessed us like a little bit of squirt gun, but like every blessing you have came from God the Father. Now that, that offends some people and, you know, I get it. I fully understand it. But here we have a letter. We have two. And you have Paul who wrote him a letter and never once mentions Artemis. He never once in the letter to the Ephesians, after spending so much time with them, even mentions her. Like this small community that you see sort of infiltrates, moves into the culture and never, here's, here's, the, here's what I want to show you. Go back to Acts chapter 19. There's just a couple of verses. He never mentions Artemis. They just live, watch this, watch this. Look at verse 37 first. It says, you've brought these men here and I highlighted it. Though they've neither robbed temples, maybe that's usually what happened where they'd throw a riot, like you're trying to steal from us, what? Nor, and that's church word, blasphemed our goddess. Oh, that's convicting, right? Because if you know what that means, to, to blaspheme is to speak against. They, they never once, oh, such a punk. When I first became a Christian, I was so convinced and so sure of so many things that like if I saw a Mormon, I would literally like slam the brakes, get out of the truck and go try to talk to this kid. I saw two Mormon kids on a bike, God bless them. They were, they like pivoted <laughs> a kid who was just walking. Like, I don't know if they practice that. Uh, I'm just being funny. We do stupid, silly things too. Uh, but I saw them on the street and I like studied Mormonism a little bit and you may be Mormon, you're awesome. Uh, but uh, I was convinced that I could just, I could shut it down. All I need to do is tell you about one thing. Did you know that? So I remember I got out of my truck while I was borrowing a truck. I never, I've never owned a truck, babe. I've never owned a truck. Can I anyway, I get out of this truck, and there's this kid who just got stopped, and they're, like, totally doing the thing that they've practiced. And I got out, and they're like, who's this freak? Like, I got out of a truck, like, on the street and walked over. I was like, hey, what did these guys say to you? I was so acquiring the fire. I was so on fire that I was like, I can shut this down. And I was like, did you know? And I told this kid something that I Googled. Did you know? Oh, this, I would go to the Mormon temple, and I would, I would go and try to, like, tell these kids, it's so easy, I can set you free from this, and, and this might complicate things. If this frustrates you, it frustrates me, because it was me. I'm the idiot that was getting out of a truck trying to proselytize proselytizers who were proselytizing some MCC kid. I'm like, I look back and go, just keep driving, man. But my heart was like, I can just shut Joseph Smith down. I did a teaching series on the truth about Mormonism. And other churches were like, will you do that series here? And I'm like, yeah. So I brought this like obnoxious, let me just show you how brilliant I am as an apologist. And do you know how many, you know how many Mormons are my friends today? I think. Zero. Why? Who the heck wants to be friends with a guy that slams the brakes and tries to prove him wrong, right? Even though I thought I was right. I mean, I sat next to, baby, I love you. I sat next to a girl when I was, un, uh, just, I was at MCC back in the day. I picked my seat wisely, and there was this cute little girl at MCC. So it turns out she's Mormon. And uh, I spent six months trying to convince this girl that, you know, the way was better. <laughs> She said, you know what you did the last day of class? She's like, I don't know what this is anymore, but you strengthened my faith. And I was like, ah! This backfired! But I'd spent months bashing and not ugly, but like really creatively protesting. And 
And it didn't work. Do you know why? It doesn't work. Nobody is compelled by bullhorn guy. Nobody's like, what is he saying? He seems healthy and whole. <laughs> he seems really kind. Hey, what did he say? Oh. So I was a Protestant. Maybe little bits of me are still a Protestant Christian, although... The Protestant Reformation took place in 1517 within the church. Uh, it was a necessary and beautiful protest from within the church. There were some things going on that within the church, listen to me, if there's some things going on within the bride and you're a part of the bride, we should sometimes go, hey, we shouldn't do that. Hey, that's unhealthy. That's toxic. And so Martin Luther, not King Jr., but Martin Luther, uh, on Halloween Day, 1517, he didn't have plans. So he went and, and nailed this 95 thesis to the wall, and it was beautiful, and the Protestant Reformation started, and a lot of good came with it, some not so great. And it was necessary and beautiful, but you know what it did? The historians in the room, do you know what it did? Not with all of us, but it set a trajectory. It put us on a train of protesting that a lot of us have never gotten off. And we're known more in many communities for what we're against instead of what we're for. Like the Protestant Reformation was good and beautiful in so many ways. Maybe you don't know a thing about it. Know that I think it was necessary. Maybe you don't, but the church would agree it's necessary, but it's not a vehicle that's, it's not going to move us forward. Protesting and bashing will not carry us forward. That's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's evil, and that's, that's not going to carry us forward. And I don't think I'm, I might be preaching to the crowd. But some of us would just go, you know, I'm done with that, like looking at the culture and telling them they're wrong. And you've got, you got Paul here who got off the boat in Ephesus and saw the festival. Maybe you, know, maybe you stayed home. You're like, I could do that missions. No. Uh, but he saw, he met people, and, and never once, like in a, in, a, in a riot, this guy had the chance to go, he said Artemis is ugly, or whatever he could have said. And they could have killed him. But Paul somehow got off the boat. And the apostle Paul, who had perfect theology, you would, right? Can we assume? I don't know. Good theology, great theology, whatever, wherever you're following that spectrum. Never bashed. Never once. Dropped a verse. Never once. Never once. You know why I think? This particular setting. I, I think that it, he was so confident that the story that he lived in, Jesus is Lord, the, the one who blesses is still blessing. He was so confident. Like, if you're, if you're confident that your story is the best, you can just live it. Like, if you're confident that what you, uh, if you're confident that it's the best, you don't need to talk about other people's stories. You can just live yours. And, and if you're living something that's the best and it's compelling and it's beautiful, then others are going to go, what's that? But if you're, that's wrong and that's horrible and that's disgusting and that, that, that message isn't living, that's not working. So those friends that do that, I just want to go, is your message that you're living, working? Like, there's a time to speak for sure. But is what you're living, like, are you, when my buddies in high school would sell pot, they'd sell it and they'd talk it up, you know? Like, it's such a funny illustration, but it works. They sold pot. All my buddies sold pot. I hated pot. <laughs> but they sold pot. But then my buddy, let's call him Frank, um, <laughs> he, he, he smoked pot, but never his own. And th that phrase, right, you're not even smoking what you're selling. You ever heard that phrase? Are you smoking what you're selling? Billy, shoot, Frank wasn't. 
<laughs> He's on Facebook. Uh, but it's this idea of like, oh, it's so good, it's so good. But it's not even what you're living. That's hypocrisy right there. If you're trying to give something that you're not even living yourself. But if what you're living is working, folks are going to go, oh, this is beautiful. Now, one more, one more, one more thing that I want to show you, and then we'll unpack it for like 50 years. All right, so back into the text, there's this line that is so good and beautiful. It says in verse 31, even some of the officials of the province, comma, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. What does this mean? Even some of the officials of the province, these are elected officials of the city of Ephesus. These are men who the people of Ephesus, thriving in Ephesus, picked them to lead the way of Ephesus. These are men whose jobs and lives depend on pleasing the people and furthering the worship of Artemis, comma, friends of Paul. Like if they're friends, they go, oh, no, Paul. And they're worried. They don't want anything bad to happen. These guys don't have text, they don't have email, they don't have whatever you've got. They write down a letter and they send him a message. If that little note is intercepted by someone who really loves Artemis and they read that sucker, hey, we elected you and you're begging this guy not to come in here. These are elected officials in the city of Ephesus, worshipers of Artemis. Let's go to the festival. These are guys who are fully immersed in a world that Paul was not, and they begged him not to go into the theater. These are pagan cult members risking their jobs and their lives for the Apostle Paul. I mean, we haven't even talked about Jesus today. We're just talking about Paul, who somehow lived out his faith in a way that pagan cult members would risk their lives to protect him. This begs the question of me, what kind of friends do I have? And it, let me just be the first to confess how easy it is to insulate yourself in the Christian bubble and to get really comfy, especially, this is just my story, but for me it was easy because especially when you're 45, 50 hours a week busy with the thing, you don't ever have to see anybody outside of the holy huddle. I'm just it, It's easy, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, they're not even around. Folks aren't even around. I'm not around anybody that's different than me. Or maybe, maybe like if we do some gut work, we'd go, no, I actually avoid those people. Like when I came to faith, I moved from Scottsdale to Chandler and like literally uh, gave all this like what I thought was like vulgar music to my roommate. And I was like, here, this is for you. I, I don't listen to this crap anymore. I just listen to Third Day? What the heck? I don't, there was nothing. I don't know. And he's holding this box of music. It's like, so it's, it's good enough for me, but you're better? And I was like, uh. <laughs> I don't even know what I said. But I was like, you're, ew. You can, and I did this stupid thing forever. Maybe you're here and you're a new Christian. Maybe don't get on a boat and go to Ephesus. Maybe you're here and you're like, I just need to get healthy. I need to overcome some things. But for some of us, maybe we need to, to look at the story and go, okay, what's the implication? Here's what happened. We look historically. There's a letter to the Ephesians, and if you, if you love to read a little bit, you can go see what happened. 500 years, they worship Artemis, they love Artemis. Little by little, 
over a 70-year period, you watch church history as this small community initially infiltrates the, I don't like that word, it sounds like military, uh, but they move into the neighborhood. They live out the way of Jesus. And 70 years later, 80 to 90% of uh, the city of Ephesus would say that they are followers of the way. Set within the lifetime of the people that were at the riot, the youngsters, they watched the entire empire that for 500 years had been sustained and fueled by the worship of Artemis, this goddess, believe what you want about her. Paul clearly thought, now there's a, there's a God. He is a father coming off a porch. I heard this story about him. And he just simply lived out the way of Jesus. And within the lifetime of those disciples, the entire empire was revolutionized. And I'm not the military, let's go, save the world for Jesus guy, but I am, this is the best kind of life. Jesus is Lord, I love this. And maybe the best way to spread this is living this. You, you don't have to bash. You don't have to criticize. You don't have to look at the culture and go, that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong. In this case study, it went from Ephesus to, like, next door, Lystra, Pergamum. The entire empire was revolutionized by Paul, a couple of disciples, some other disciples that were hiding, who simply lived out the way of Jesus. They believed that their story was the best, and five centuries of Artemis worship was done. And and it happened because the small community simply went and didn't blaspheme and didn't do anything crazy. They just lived out the way of Jesus. Let me stop with this. Um, Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said some things to the Galatians. He got a little upset with them. But one line he wrote is one that I can't get away from. He said the only, you've heard this, so if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or anything, I can't stop posting this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's Paul summing up all things. And he goes, yeah, but the one thing, the only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself through love. And that guy had a resume where he moved into one of the darkest cities of the time, I would say, and simply lived out the way. In, in not lazy, but in a really brilliant, strategic, I'm going, I'm going to love these folks. And there wasn't even a moment where he like sealed the deal. He didn't have his like agenda where he was like, Pray that he didn't do that. They were the ones that moved towards him. They were the ones that said, we want to protect you. Wow. So let's be the kinds of folks that no matter what our theology is, we never let that trump relationship and love and letting every single person in the city of Chandler, Mesa, Gilbert, Tempe, wherever you're from, sit at the table, even if you completely disagree with them. If this is someone, again, this, there's, here's, help me with this. In the church, if you follow me, um, here's the tension that maybe this is conversation for later. Within the church, I think I think that we have a I think we have a responsibility to look at each other and go, hey, no, 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 we're we're family, your brother, my sister. We need to look at each other and go, this is going to be an anchor for me for the rest of my life in bringing people back to this. Are we living out the way of Jesus, or are we just clobbering people with our truth? Are we living out the way of Jesus? Or are we building theological walls that we feel safe within? Does that make sense? I feel a responsibility as a part of this family to at times when our family is 
is going down the wrong path to go, well, I think that's the wrong path, and I think people get hurt down that path. You may not get hurt down that path, but you're hurting people by going down that path. That's fair. Does that make sense? So there's two audiences I'm talking about here. Paul moved into a culture. I'm not talking about Paul moving into, like, a new church and reforming things. He moved into a city and just lived out the way of Jesus. Do you think he ever looked at Gaius and Aristarchus and was like, hey, I know, and you're going to stop behaving that way, despite what you believe, and we're going to love, right? You ever think he did that? That's where I feel a sense of that responsibility. So as, as a church, as prodigal church, I hope that we're known primarily for um, how we live, how we love, how we care for people, who we sit with, who we invite, who we associate with. I heard a pastor say once that if Jesus was worried, if he was worried about guilt by association, he would have stayed in heaven. <laughs> if Jesus was worried about guilt by association, I'm not going, right? Not that that makes us some sort of monsters, but... He was literally perfect, and he was kind of into all of us. He really, 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 really kind of loved us. Um, so I think we should probably follow that way. Um, now, there's this song that we've made a mess of it, I know that, and instead of just, like, shaking my fist at the church and saying, I'm done, I'm done, we decided, you know what? If this story and this story in Luke 15 are true, then you can look at some people and go, hey, we can do this. Hey, we can, we can live this out. We, we can just simply believe this beautiful thing about Jesus and invite people into it. And it doesn't have to be sexy or glamorous or hip. Because no matter how sexy or glamorous or hip that we create a thing, if at the heart of it, we're not the kinds of people that know ourselves well enough, that know our shortcomings well enough. If, if you don't know yourself well enough, then you, you might keep people away from yourself. Right? But if we're the kinds of folks that go, yeah, Jesus is amazing. I, we can talk about me too, but yeah, Jesus is amazing. And you're invited to break bread with us and sit with us and go to the park with us on February 23rd. Like something could happen. Something beautiful. You, you probably know someone who feels like there's no way that that community or any faith community would ever want to be friends with me. There's just no way. They'd, they'd be afraid walking through these doors. Um, they'd think something spiritual was going to happen. God, they always say the same things. So lightning will strike me. People will judge me. I'd love for this to be an anchor for us, that if that judgment wells up in your heart, you would think of Paul, who had perfect theology, and people who he completely disagreed with were willing to die for him. Because he just watched the way of Jesus, and that's exactly the example that he set. So let me pray, and then Matt's going to come up and lead us in one more song, and we'll be done. So Jesus, you are the perfect example of this. You're the perfect example of just living out the way and putting it on display. And it frustrated some people, but it really, really compelled some folks uh, for thousands of years to want to know more about you. And so tonight I just pray for my friends that are in this tension with me of sort of tempted to protest at times, but really at our core we're convinced that if we just live out the way, It'll be compelling, and it'll be, it'll be enough for folks to go, what's, what's the deal? What's happening over there? What's happening in your house? What's happening in your family? What's happening with you? I just want them, for, for all of us, to just think of what even is coming tomorrow and the environments we'll find ourselves in, the places that we'll be, the people that we'll meet, the chances that we'll have to just walk in confidently knowing that you're not just with us, you're in love with us, and you're working in and through us to show the world there's, there's a beautiful way to live. 
This life is a gift. I pray that we would put it on display and that we would extend it to everyone that comes our way. This life is a gift. I pray that we would put it on display and extend it to everyone that comes our way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.